Well, turn in your Bible tonight, if you would please, to Matthew chapter number 20. Matthew chapter number 20. And in just a very few moments, I'll begin reading verse number 29 of the chapter. And with the help of the Lord, be reading through verse number 34. Matthew chapter number 20 and verse number 29. Pastor, thank you so much for yet another opportunity to stand in your pulpit tonight. I do not take that lightly, neither do I take it for granted. And what a blessing it is for Cassie and I to be back at the Central Baptist Church of Ocala, Florida tonight. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you have done for us today. I am so excited. Listen, I was so excited to get to go shopping today. I am actually looking forward to the fashion show Sunday night. Now, I'm telling you, I bought stuff just for the fashion show Sunday night. And so I'm already excited. Don't you miss the service. It's going to be great. Now, if the Lord comes before Sunday night, Brother Benji Bowden will be preaching. And so if you're still around here, I'm sure you'll have a great time. But uh, I'm so excited about tomorrow night's service. I'll tell you what the Lord has impressed upon my heart to do. I was praying about this today, Pastor. And when the preacher got up and uh, told you about your faith promise and challenged you about your faith promise, God just confirmed in my heart to preach this tomorrow night. I, with the help of the Lord, tomorrow night, I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, zero in on verses 1 through 5, and show you from the Bible why that the faith promise missions giving plan is a plan ordained by God for you and I to have a part in reaching the world with the gospel. It's not Pastor Bloom's idea and it's not my idea. I'm going to show you from the Bible tomorrow night how it's God's idea and you and I would be very wise to get in on God's plan to reach the world with the gospel through our giving. Cassie and I are praying about your faith promise and we're encouraging you to do so as well. Don't miss the service tomorrow night. We're already excited about it. Don't miss the service. So good to see you tonight, Brother Gasway. What a great presentation. I'm so thankful that uh, the Lord has allowed Macedonia World Baptist Missions to come alongside of Brother Gasway's Sending Church, Fellowship Baptist Church in uh, North Georgia and help our good friend, Pastor Bobby Thomas, do for them what, quite frankly, they don't have the staff to do while they're serving in Egypt. We're very thankful for the Gazways and how the Lord continues to use them there in Egypt. I also want to say thank you to everyone that had a part in the parade of flags. If that doesn't give you a burden to do something to reach the world with the gospel, my, I don't know what will. How that stirred my heart. And I'm very, very thankful. You know, I don't know if you realize this or not, but that just didn't come together. There was a lot of work, a lot of effort, preparation, and planning went into that. And I want you to know, and I believe I speak for all the missionaries tonight from the bottom of my heart, thank you for going the extra mile for the cause of world evangelism. Thank you, precious young folks. Thank you for doing your best for the Lord, and you'll never be sorry that you did. Have you found your place in Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 20? If so, would you please stand? It's so good to see some friends of ours that come in for the service tonight. Pastor Marty Medford and his wife are here this evening. Preacher, so good to see you. Your pastor, it's Freedom Baptist, right? Freedom Baptist Church, not far from here. And I'm 
so glad to have the Medfords here. And then the Stanleys are here. And Brother and Mrs. Stanley are being used of the Lord tremendously to ship the Word of God literally around the world. And they drove in for the service tonight. Preacher, so good to see you. Thank you for being here tonight. And for all of you, thank you so much for coming. The singing has been wonderful. The music has been great. And Cassie and I are thrilled to be here tonight. Well, by the time we begin our reading here in verse 29 of Matthew chapter 20, I believe it's important for you and I to remember that at this point, the Lord Jesus is on his way to the cruel cross of Calvary that he might lay his life down and shed his blood for the sins of the entire world. However, before he does so, he illustrates what he longs to do for the world spiritually in the lives of two blind men physically here in the text before us. Let's read the Bible together. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And so Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. With the help of the Lord tonight and while zeroing in on these few verses of Scripture, I want to preach on this simple thought. If you're going to love them, you're going to have to love Him. And may I say tonight, ladies and gentlemen, if we do not love Him the way we ought to love Him, then we'll never love them. And I'm speaking now of the seven billion people of the world the way we ought to love them. I'm preaching on the fault. If we're going to love them, we're going to have to love Him. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Father, my heart has already been stirred in a wonderful, wonderful way, having been here tonight. The music, the parade of flags, the presentations tonight have stirred my heart. But now, Lord, I pray that you would take us to the next level in this service through the preaching of your precious, powerful word. Lord, I pray that you would use your inspired, inerrant word to do much more than just challenge us. I pray that you would change us tonight, that we may be more like thee. Help me, I pray, I'm nothing without you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. 
Again, I believe it's vitally important for you and I to remember while considering the verses of Scripture before us that Jesus at this point is on his way to lay his life down and shed his blood on the cruel cross of Calvary. Everything that has happened in the preceding verses of Scripture has pointed to the day when our Savior would shed His personal, precious, powerful blood for your sins and mine on Golgotha's hill. However, shortly after He and His disciples departed from Jericho, the Word of God reveals in the text that two blind men who were sitting by the wayside, having heard that Jesus was passing by, began to cry out to the point that they said, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. Initially, the desperation in their cry that we witness in verse 30 eventually led to the disgust of the crowd that we witness in verse 31. Because there the word of God reveals that the multitude began to rebuke them and even went as far as to admonish them to hold their peace. However, according to the latter portion of the same verse of Scripture, the two blind men in the text absolutely refused to be distracted, discouraged, or detoured. I submit to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, these blind men were not only passionate in their cry, brother, they were persistent in their cry as well. Because the Word of God teaches us that they begin to cry the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David, to the point that Jesus, verse 32, stood still. He called them, and then he proceeded to ask them, What will ye that I shall do unto you? Now let me assure you tonight, dear friend, Jesus did not ask that question because Jesus did not know the answer. Absolutely not. Jesus knew the answer. Jesus just wanted to make sure that they knew the answer. And they certainly did. Verse 33 says, If they say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And then the Bible goes on to tell us in verse 34 that Jesus had compassion on them and Jesus touched their eyes to the point that immediately their eyes received sight and they followed the Lord Jesus. And again, the truth that I want to encourage you to consider for a few moments tonight while zeroing in on the text before us is this. What you and I witnessed Jesus doing for these two men physically in the text. Listen. He longs to do for the world spiritually as I stand in the pulpit of this wonderful church at Ocala, Florida tonight. In fact, I believe when you zero in on these verses of Scripture, there are a few truths that will leap off of the page to the point that they find a lodging place in our hearts. First of all, when I look into this, the latter portion of Matthew chapter 20, I see, number one, a condition that is desperate. In fact, the Bible is careful, and may I say very deliberate, to reveal two truths about these men's condition, which in turn sheds light on the fact that their condition was desperate to say the least. Do you see the desperate condition in the text? First of all, these men were blind men. The Bible makes that perfectly clear as early as verse number 30. They were blind men. They could not see. 
they had never been blessed to see the sunrise or the beautiful mornings that you and I see most mornings of our lives and more times than not take for granted. These men, ladies and gentlemen, were blind men from all indications. They were born that way. Brother, what a desperate condition. They were not only blind men, but they were begging men. Absolutely. Other gospel accounts of the same story assures us of that truth tonight. That's why I say their condition was desperate to say the least. They were blind men. They were begging men. Brother, what a desperate condition. And may I say tonight in these men's desperate condition, I believe you and I have before us a great illustration of the desperate condition of the world in which we are living today. For you see what these men were physically then... The world spiritually is tonight. The world tonight is blinded spiritually by sin. They are spiritually begging continuously, searching for satisfaction in the temporal things of this world as opposed to the eternal things of God. This world's condition is desperate to say the least tonight. Paul spoke of the desperate condition of the world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he said in verse 3 of that chapter, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Yes, hear me tonight. I see a condition that is desperate here in the text. But I'm so thankful that the, the story doesn't end by simply revealing a condition that is desperate. Oh yes, we might see a condition that is desperate, but we secondly see a compassion that is definite. And I say that tonight because it's quite clear according to the Bible before us, others did not care. But Jesus cared. Others were not moved by these men's blind, their begging condition. But according to my Bible, Jesus was certainly moved. Others would have never thought of standing still for these blind, these begging men. However, according to verse number 32, the Lord Jesus not only stood still, but He went as far as to call them. And then He proceeded to ask them, What will ye that I shall do unto you? And when the men responded according to verse 33, Lord, Lord, that our eyes may be open. The Bible says that Jesus had compassion on them. And and he touched them to the point that immediately, immediately their eyes received their sight. May I say to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, these men found hope in Jesus. These men found help in Jesus. And their lives were never the same as a result of Jesus passing by. 
Oh, and listen, when God called me to preach, He put preach inside of me. And I can't get to this point in the message without stopping right here and giving you a word of personal testimony. Can I tell you about the day that I got saved? When I was a little boy, I had a very serious drug problem. My mama and daddy drugged me to church every time the doors were open. And one Sunday morning in the month of June in the year of 1974, God the Holy Ghost, through the preaching of the Word of God, removed the spiritual blinders from my eyes. And the same question that Jesus asked these men in the text, He asked me that day through the preaching of His precious Word, What will ye that I shall do unto thee? You know how I responded? My little eight-year-old heart said something like this, Lord, I'm blind, but I long to see. Lord, I'm lame, but I long to walk. Lord, I'm lost, but I need to be saved. And on that Sunday morning, the same God that walked by these two men's way walked by my way, and He changed my life. When I turned from my sin to the Savior, He birthed me into His family, forgave me of my sin, and you're listening to one preacher preach this week that has never gotten over it. And I got news for you. I ain't got no plans of getting over it. It it always makes a difference, brethren, when Jesus passes by. Amen. Hey, let me ask you this question tonight. Do you remember the day when Jesus passed by your way? Say amen. Yes, I see a condition that is desperate. But the story did not end there. We also see a compassion that is definite as well. But there's something else that has always intrigued me about this story. Right along with the Bible revealing the condition that is desperate and the compassion that is definite, the same Bible teaches us about a crowd that was discouraging. Can you imagine that? Isn't it amazing? According to verse 31, there was a crowd that wasn't the least bit concerned about what Jesus could do for these blind, these begging men. The Bible reveals before us, when they begin to cry, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. The crowd rebuked them. That they should hold their peace. Brother, what a lack of concern. Instead of being burdened by these men's desperate condition, they were bothered by it. Can you imagine that? Instead of being moved with compassion, as the Lord Jesus, according to the text, was moved with compassion, brother, they were moved to contention. When they should have cared, they could not have cared less, according to the Bible. According to the Word of God, they were unmoved by their condition, they were untouched by their cry, and therefore they were ultimately unchanged by their healing. Do you know what their attitude was? Their attitude was, Hey, why should I even remotely be concerned with a blind man as long as I can see myself? You know what their attitude was? 
Why should I even remotely be concerned uh, with a begging man uh, when I'm not begging myself? They absolutely did not care. Have you ever taken the time while considering the latter portion of Matthew chapter 20 to consider the difference between Christ's attitude towards these men and the crowd's attitude towards these men? According to the Bible, Christ cared, but the crowd could not have cared less. Christ stood still for them, but not the crowd. Christ, according to verse 32, called them. But simultaneously, while the king of all glory was calling these men, the crowd was in the process of rebuking them. Jesus cared. Jesus loved them. Jesus, according to verse 34, had compassion on them to the point that he touched their eyes and changed their lives forever. But can I ask you this question tonight? Why? Why is it that the crowd could not have cared less? Have you ever thought about it? Why is it tonight that the crowd doesn't care for them? Why doesn't the crowd love them? Why is there no concern at all exhibited on the crowd's behalf towards these blind, these begging men? Can I tell you why? They do not love them Because they do not know and therefore they do not love Him. You see, if they were ever going to love them, it will ultimately, it would ultimately be the result of them loving Him. And it's sad to say tonight, but as I consider this story... The same truth is just as real and relevant this evening. The situation tonight as far as reaching the world with the gospel hasn't changed that much at all. I want you to listen to what I'm getting ready to say. Are you listening tonight? Say amen. There are 7 billion people in the world tonight and the overwhelming majority of them are lost. And they're undone without Christ. And they are headed to hell. Most of them, having never heard the name of Jesus, much less a clear presentation of the gospel. What these men were in the text physically, the overwhelming population of the world tonight is spiritually. They are both blind. They are begging. Their situation is desperate to say the least. But can I ask you this question? Why are churches... Like Central Baptist Church, the exception today as opposed to the rule. Why don't every church have a parade of flags? A parade of nations? Why don't every church have a faith promise? Why don't every church run a bus, pick up a kid... Have a Christian school outreach. Why don't every church love them? Why don't every church have an outreach to reach them with the gospel? Can I just put it to you in a nutshell tonight? 
we do not love them the way we ought to love them because we do not love Him the way we ought to love Him. If we would fall head over heels in love with Jesus tonight, I assure you, you will have absolutely no problem with your pastor when he wants to do more to reach the world with the gospel. But the fact of the matter is this. You'll never love them. I'll never love them the way I ought to love them until I love Him the way I ought to love Him. Could it be, could it be tonight that we have left our first love? Could it be that we're just not where we need to be with God? Uh, Because if we're going to love the world, if we're going to love the blind and the begging, we're going to have to love the Lord Jesus. Let me remind you that reaching a lost and dying world with the gospel isn't a suggestion to be ignored. It is a command to be obeyed. And Jesus said in the gospel of John chapter number 14 and verse 15, If you love me, do much more than just sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Because quite honestly, talk is really, really cheap. Jesus said, If you love me, if you love me. Do you remember what he said? Keep my commandments. How often do the words come out of our mouths? Oh, how I love Jesus. And those words flow like water out of a faucet. And we never stop to really think about what we're saying. Let me assure you, dear Christian friend, that you or I, either one, will never love them the way we ought to love them until we love Him the way we ought to love them. Him will never love the world until we fall in love with the one that loves the world so much that He laid His life down on the cross of Calvary to deliver them from sin. Now with that in mind, I want you to turn with me quickly to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter number 2. I'm afraid, brethren, many of us have reached the same point that the church of Ephesus had reached according to Revelation chapter 2. I'm glad God included His personal letter to the church of Ephesus in our King James Bible because there's something here that you and I will have to get a hold of if we're going to reach the world with the gospel. Now, it's interesting. The Lord began His personal letter to His friends at Ephesus by commending them. Notice what He said beginning with verse 2 of the chapter. God said to the local church of Ephesus, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. So God begins his letter to the church of Ephesus by commending the church. 
God makes it abundantly clear in the text that there had been a time in the church's past that they had loved them and that they had labored to win others for the cause of Christ. That is exactly what God was speaking about in the latter portion of verse 3 when he said, And for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. God commends the church. But then, beginning with verse number 4, now God begins to condemn the church. Verse 4, Nevertheless, God said, I have somewhat against thee. Now I wonder what that could be. Maybe it's a lack of ministry outreach in the church. Maybe that's the big problem that God has with the church of Ephesus. I wonder if that's the problem. Maybe it's a lack of funds in the church treasury that God is bothered by. I wonder what it is that the thrice holy God of glory has against the local church of Ephesus. The Bible answers the question. Nevertheless, God said, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Therefore it's very apparent When you read and study Revelation chapter 2, you'll discover that God had a problem with the church of Ephesus. First of all, theirs was a personal problem. God said in verse 4, I have somewhat against thee. Can I say something to you tonight, child of God? When we lose our burden to reach others with the gospel, God takes it very Personally, God said, I have somewhat against thee. Theirs was a personal problem. Theirs was a passion problem. God told the church, you've left your first love. Now please don't misunderstand. God did not say they had lost their salvation. We know that's a a biblical impossibility. Uh, Once saved, always saved. I'm glad I'm kept by the Holy Spirit of God, sealed under the day of redemption. God did not say they had lost their salvation. He said to the church, the Christians, the believers, here's your problem. You've left your first love. That close, intimate, personal relationship that once spurred you on to reach others with the same gospel that changed your life. That gospel that inspired you to love them and to labor to win them to the Lord Jesus has waned at best. Theirs was a passion problem. They had left their first love. Because of that, God admonished them to do three things. Now, your pastor has preached this many, many times. I'm even going to use his outline. It's right here in the text. First of all, God says to those of us who have lost our first love, remember. 
God says to the church, beginning with verse 5, since you've got a passion problem, since you don't love me with the zeal and with the fervor that you used to love me with, let me admonish you, remember! Can I ask you this question tonight? Can you remember a time in your Christian life that you were closer to God than you are right now. Then God says to you and God says to me, I want you to take a walk down memory lane. Do you remember? Do you remember when it used to be a priority for you to spend time with me first thing every morning? Do you remember when the prayer closet was a priority? When you just knew that you could not make it through the day without the help of God to the point that it drove you to the knee, your knees? Do you remember? Do you remember when you used to love to read and study your Bible while the preacher would get up to preach on a Sunday morning and you would hang on every word he said, but now, ever so slowly, but ever so surely, one day without reading your Bible has led to another day and another day to another day. And one month without maintaining a prayer life has uh, escalated into another month. And now you come to church with more of a desire to get out than you do to get in. God says, remember. God not only instructed the church of Ephesus to remember, He also instructed them to repent. He said in verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent. The word repent refers to a change of mind that will always lead to a change of action. When the Ephesians saw the depths of their sin, they were instructed by God to turn from their sin and fall head over heels in love with the Lord Jesus all over again. God said, repent. And then finally, God said, repeat. I say that because in verse number 5, God instructed the church of Ephesus to do their first works. Which works? Not second. Which works did God instruct the church of Ephesus to do again? The first works. And that word first refers to works that are first in rank and first in importance. And may I say to you tonight, Central Baptist Church of Ocala, Florida, when you read that Bible, you or I, either one, will never have to wonder what our first works should be. Shortly before the Lord Jesus ascended back to His throne in glory after His resurrection, He told His disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both 
Both. You ought to underline that word both. You ought to circle that word both. You ought to highlight that word both. Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto where? The uttermost parts of the earth. That, ladies and gentlemen, is first works. Go ye into all the world. Mark chapter 16, latter portion of verse 15 says, and preach the gospel to every creature. Listen to me tonight. Where there is a creature, God intends for there to be a preacher. But why is it that we just can't seem to get a handle on loving them? Caring for them to the point that we would do much more than just sing. There's a call come ringing o'er the restless wave. Send the light. We sing it. But are we willing to sacrifice in order to do it? How can we love them, you may ask. Preacher, I've never met them. How can I love them? I've got something I want to show you tonight. Cassie and I take this picture everywhere we go. And it's not by mistake that we leave it on our table everywhere we go because we're reminding ourselves every time we set up our display the people we're trying to reach around the world. I like this picture. Our print shop prints these up at Macedonia World Baptist Missions and they have faces of people not only in North America but in Europe where Cassie and I was blessed to go and visit for two weeks last year. The Far East, Australia, Africa where Brother Gasway and his family are. By the way, as a brother in India tonight trying to reach the people of India with the gospel and as I look at this picture tonight I see people that that look different. I see people that have a different color skin than I have. I see people that live in a different culture. And some of you may look at this picture tonight. You may see the different cultures that are represented, the different lands on the globe that are represented. And you're wondering tonight, Preacher Carl, how can I love them? Let me illustrate it like this tonight. I not only have the picture, I brought something else I wanted to show every single one of you in order to drive this point home. Of course you know what that is. That is a baseball glove. And to you, this means nothing. To you, why, that's not only an old worn out baseball glove, but it is a cheap old, worn-out baseball glove. To you, it's nothing. But to me and Miss Cassie, there is not enough money that could buy this glove tonight. Can I tell you why? When I pastored my second church, My first church was the Island Ford Baptist Church of Jonesville, North Carolina. I was there for about four years and left for sickness reasons. They were sick of me and I was sick of them. Amen. 
And so my next church was the Calvary Baptist Church of Statesville, North Carolina. And on the day the moving van left the church parsonage, Pastor Bloom, I hung a sign on the door, Thanks to Calvary, I don't live here anymore. Amen. And so we moved our family to Statesville, North Carolina. And if you're listening from Island Ford Baptist Church, you know I'm kidding. Sort of. Amen. (laughs) And when I became the pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church of Statesville, North Carolina, my little boy, Joshua, he couldn't have been more than four or five years old at the time. And as soon as he could pick up a baseball preacher, he fell head over heels in love with baseball. I mean, he lived, slept, ate, and breathed baseball. And so not long after that, me and his mama went to Walmart and we bought him this glove. Most little boys his age, well, I've seen him carry around the teddy bear and I've seen him carry around the blanket, but not my little boy. He carried around this very glove. He would go to bed holding this glove. He would rake up holding this glove. We had to pry it out of his hands. He wanted to take it to school with him. He loves this glove. Every day when I was the pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church, after I finished in the office during the day, I'd come home and my little boy would be standing there wearing this glove. And he would want me to go out into the backyard and hit him baseballs so he could field with this very glove in the back of our house at 218 Antler Drive, Statesville, North Carolina. Now my little boy is not so little anymore. He just finished a... I think six years in the United States Army and he just got out of the Army last week and uh, he's not a little boy anymore but every now and then he'll still ask me you still got my glove don't you he loves the glove you know where I got this glove so I could bring it and show you folks in Ocala Florida before I started taking around the missions conferences like this it was hanging on my at that time, 23, 24-year-old son's wall in his bedroom. I'm telling you, he loves the glove. So to you, this is nothing. But you see, you don't know him. You don't love him. You've never met the one personally that loves the glove. But if you only knew him, like I'm blessed to know him, then you would have no problem loving this glove, not because of the glove, but you would love the glove because you love the one that loves the glove. If you're here tonight and you've never met the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you look around at the parade of nations and you look around at all these young folks that have gone the extra mile to stir our hearts for world evangelism. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus, you say in your heart, if not with your lips, at least in your mind, what is the big deal? Can I tell you what the big deal is? 
We love them because we love the one that sent his only son that went to the cross of Calvary and shed his precious blood so that not a one of those people in Egypt would have to die and go to hell. But that through Christ they could have life and have it more abundantly. You've listened so well. Would you bow your head tonight?